Ladies and gentlemen, Daring Fireball Productions is pleased to welcome you to Mezzanine. Please silence your phones, take your seats, and welcome to the stage, You Look Nice Today. How's it going, everybody? How you doing tonight? I am uh, I'm Merlin Mann. I am Adam Lissagor. And uh, we're uh, used to having our friend Scott Simpson out with us. Scott Simpson, everybody. Scott Simpson. Um, hey, Merlin. Yeah. Where's Scott Simpson? I have literally no idea. You, I, you did you, did you, like... Get with him? Oh, see, I was not under the impression that that was with something that I was falls okay. under the rubric of my general... I guess I assumed that was something John would take care of. I had also like, likewise assumed that John would be taking care of this, notifying our... It's partner. great to be here. How are you guys doing tonight? This is going really, really... Woo! Am I right? <laughs> this is going really well. I see oh, some friends in the audience. Oh, my God, you guys. Oh, so many. Five, seven, nine... Nine friends in the audience. Uh, Scott had no idea. He had, he had no idea. Oh, that's... Uh, Gruber. Jesus. What a homemade piece of shit that guy no, is. No, uh, no. He is great. Uh, We're all here to celebrate uh, John Yeah, I, I used to be into him. I used to be into him. Oh, I was there in the beginning. Oh, look at me. I'm really into Apple stuff. And I was, I was there for a while. Me too. I love his oh Apple writing. God, he writes Apple about writing. Apple yeah. stuff. Sometimes when he posts from Disneyland, he, uh, he remembers to close the bracket. <laughs> no, I'm super into John. To be like, but no, I am too. I yes. love him. Yes. We're, yes. we're here for him tonight yes. to celebrate John Gruber. We're all here. Doesn't it seem like he phones show. it in a little bit these days, though? Kind of. I had not noticed that. Not hmm. really? You don't no. notice that? Interesting. No, something, I something, think something he's a claim, solid writer. Claim chowder? You don't notice that? <laughs> I mean, come on. It's the biggest company in the world. Like, they're doing fine. You don't notice that. Yeah, but the no. haters, the haters must be Oh, the punished. haters, yeah. the haters, the, ooh, they hate John. I heard he actually uses WordPress. Ah. With the cash off, because it doesn't really matter. It's not nearly as popular as it seems. Not, I, nothing against the guy. He's like, you know, not as tall as he seems, but. That is true. That no. is true. He's much, much shorter in person. I heard he's actually not that into the Yankees. To, just a little, a little too little, far little close to home. To this crowd, yeah. You know, I just, I just, I, I was there with him. I was there like every step of the way. I wanted to be there. <sighs> but we're here for him tonight. Yes, we we're definitely. Yeah, all Gruber. of us. John Gruber. Got to pull for John. John Gruber, everybody. John Gruber. John Gruber. The talk um, show. I kind of feel mm, a little bit like you're defending him. Uh, like you're kind of a little bit on his well, side. Well, of course I am. He is the reason that I am who I am today. In every, uh, in every way. In every way. <laughs> really? You're the man you are now is because of John? Pretty much. Okay. Kind of don't get that. Uh, something, something Apple. He had a site. Uh, it's, it's the Apple stuff. It's the, well, you know, it's his passion. His singular passion and vision hmm. for the, over the whole landscape 
of uh, of Apple of Apple and and that the culture of Apple yes. is a celebration. It's a culture and a celebration. Culture. That means very, something. It's very dear to me. Te and te it's technology. What are you doing right now? I'm, I'm just. I'm, I'm literally curious about how he's inspired you. Yeah, but we. This is not about. It's not about me. It's about. No. Me. Is it about the ads? Okay. Okay. So. No, I, this is fine. No, tell him. Go ahead. Tell, tell him. Tell him. It's like a. It's like a personal project for me. Okay. John's sponsored reads. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember when he started doing these. It was just... He can, al he can almost pronounce fracture. Yeah. <laughs> he can almost pronounce most words. And... Just... Well, we, we both love being on his show, right? No, you go yeah, on we show. do. We lo I love it. I mean, I've had a, a great time as oh a guest on his show. You hear the reads in, in real time, and the, the yeah. second and third time he does it uh -huh. to get it you just, you, right? Yeah, you just yes. kind of nod. Nod. Oh nod. My God. It's just an audio presence podcast. of the master. Yes. Yeah, you, you, sort of, you sort of make up a story about the sponsor. Yeah, right. I'm not getting paid. I, only, I feel like there might be a set of Christmas lights in front of him, and it lights up, and, and, and it just goes, glass base. And then, then like, he says some words. And it's kind of a, just a general like, chef's salad of words that come out. But here's what I did. I, t I noticed that he had, a, he had a little difficulty really selling it, yes. selling the product. This okay. is early on. And I took him, and I, I took him under my wing, and I molded him. He's like, he's like a child to you. Yeah, yeah. That's yes. Been, yeah, so, so there is some sort of ownership over... John's sponsorship reads, which are really, like really world class. No, they are at this seriously. Point. They're much really good. Less slightly horrible. Best CPM than they used to in be. the. They are literally not the worst in the in the world. So much every week anymore. But then that's that's, that's it's inspired you. It's like you see a child. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna build a swing set and I'm gonna push you. All I'm saying is, he used to be, and now he is. Yes. He is a giant, in the sponsored reads world. You know, it's, it's, it's really true. Our thanks to John Gruber. He's not, he's not as bad as he seems, really. No. It kind of is. No, he's quite good. And that is why it is a tremendous, tremendous honor for Merlin and I to be here. There's a reason we call him the chairman. Ladies and gentlemen. John Gruber. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> Welcome to uh, the fourth annual live uh, from WWDC talk show. I am John Gruber. This is the talk show. I'm assuming most of you are familiar with the situation. <laughs> uh, I have some administrative stuff to take care of before we really start the show proper. Um, I will reiterate like I did last year. We have an open bar, uh, and we have a great sponsor who we can thank for that. You are all drinking on their dime, and that's MailChimp. Um, if you don't know MailChimp, and you ever have the need for email marketing, uh, really, check them out, MailChimp.com. Not kidding, I remember, that. you guys remember this? Two years ago, there's like a minimum here on the bar, and we came up short. And it, <laughs> And it was very embarrassing to me. And then I told you guys this last year. I said, so seriously, drink. And we went way over last year. <laughs> that was better. That was better. 
So do that again. If you're thirsty, go get another one. Seriously, it's all on MailChimp. My thanks to them. Um, first time this year, we have live video. Uh, so we are hopefully, knock on wood, uh, going out to the world at large. Better to be here live, but second best, watch it uh, on the stream. And that is thanks to uh, Fracture. You guys know Fracture. <laughs> Anybody here doesn't know Fracture? <laughs> well, if you don't, uh, they have this great service. You go to FractureMe.com, that's their website. Uh, you send them your photos. They print them on glass. There's no frame around it. It's just right there on the glass. It looks amazing. They have great prices. They have sizes ranging from like these index cards all the way up to big 23 inch by 20, 29 inch um, size. Can't go wrong. Go check them out. And they have a special code just for this show. They want to see just how well this show did. If you use the code WWDC, very easy to spell, uh, you'll save 15% on anything you order. So that's a tremendous deal. So my thanks to Fracture. Uh, and last but not least, the event itself is sponsored by a small software company in Seattle. Uh, they're a company called Microsoft. You guys know, I, I mean, I write about Microsoft all the time. But no joke, here's the thing. Uh, if, if anybody here, has anybody here been to the show before in previous years? So this is their third year sponsoring the live talk show. I mean, this is, you know, it's not that odd anymore. Um, it really isn't. And, and they've really pivoted. Uh, they've made major investments in, in their developer tools and their cloud infrastructure and built it out in a way that is... It's tremendous for iOS, Mac developers, uh, even Android developers, but any platform. They really have grown past being just about Windows, and it's great stuff. We use it at Vesper for sync. Our sync system has never had a problem due to the hosting stuff there. It is absolutely rock solid. I, I recommend it. Even if they weren't a sponsor, I would recommend it. But check them out. They have a special website that they've made, and it's for their appeal to app developers, regardless of your platform. And the website is anyappanydev.com. A-N-Y-A-P-P-A-N-Y-D-E-V.com. Go check it out. That's their message to you. Um, they, I mean, but they're all over the place this year. They sponsored uh, Dalrymple's Beard Bash last night. They sponsored AltConf, all sorts of great stuff. So my thanks to them. So I have one guest for tonight, and it truly is, I use the words all the time, when Moltz is on the show, I say a very special guest. That's, that's not a very special guest. <laughs> this time I do have a very special guest, and I am very excited to introduce him. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I shit you not, <laughs> Phil Schiller.
One giant selfie, everybody. No. Wow. And I think Moltz is so funny, so I can't believe I got the cheer. So my first question every year at this event is always, um, how'd you think the keynote went yesterday? Well, they finally introduced all the things I was expecting, so. I think it went amazing. I was so impressed, and everyone did a great job. Uh, from Tim on to Jimmy, and, and yeah, a lot of work goes into it, so, you know, I don't, I don't think a company on this earth could have done better. I heard some laughter when you said Jimmy. <laughs> All right, one person uh, who w did not appear on stage was you which was True. highly unusual. How many, how many keynotes in a row had you been on stage prior to that? Um, I've taken part either presenting or demoing over 50 keynotes in a row. Yeah. So you should have gone for 56, it would have been like a Joe DiMaggio street. <laughs> no, 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 there was no other reason than it just worked out that way this time, and um, but I worked really hard on it, so. I thought that the opening with a Bill Hader short film was so great, but like so over the top well produced. Like when, when did the gears get started on, on doing that? Well, a year ago we started thinking we need a really good video next year, truly. And I think about three weeks ago we came up with the idea. So. <laughs> Uh, by the way, if anyone has a really good idea for an opening video next year, <laughs> sugaratapple.com, I'll take all suggestions. We do. You know, what's that? <laughs> My only complaint is that it seemed to me that you cheated at the end because that didn't look like Presidio. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of the video, and we knew it would throw some people, so you're in that group, that it started by saying yesterday's rehearsal, and it was meant to be in a secret location where they were rehearsing separate from Moscone so people wouldn't know what the big production was, and that was the, the reason that it looked different, and that, that's our story and we'll stick to it. <laughs> I should state up front that the, 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 <laughs> the rules for this interview were actually extremely simple. Phil said to me, ask me anything. I may not answer everything. <laughs> this is true. But you know our PR rules. If you ask me some questions I don't like, you'll never speak to us again for the rest of your life. <laughs> Not true. Whoever said yeah doesn't know. I'm not going to use that word. Meanwhile, someone from Apple PR is up there with a gun pointed at my head. Like a, like a stun gun. Yes. So like if I go down and then Adam is right there ready to come out and take over. So it, it, the show will go on. All right. A serious question. Very serious. Um, and it's going to come out differently 
today, a day after the keynote, than I maybe expected it to. But um, I'm sure you've noticed it, that it, and it's not just this year, it's been growing over the last few years, is um, people keeping track of the diversity of the speakers in keynote addresses of various companies at various events. And that one way that Apple has had an imbalance in that regard is the number of women in keynotes. Um, now yesterday, that uh, talking about streaks, that streak was over. Um, Jennifer Bailey. Uh, introduced Apple Pay, uh, or the improvements to Apple Pay, and uh, Susan Prescott, I thought, killed it. She, she did. I, I, I honestly think that the I read ESPN for the articles got a bigger laugh than the Bill Hader thing. I mean, that, but talk to me about that. Like, does that deserve a finally? Um. No, and in fact, far, honestly, far from it. It, deser it deserves a, that's good, more of it, not a finally. Um, yeah, the, the, there's clearly, there's either some really high-pitched guys out there or there are women in the audience, so cool, I, I can't see anything, so that's awesome. There, the, um, this is a, clearly a, a topic that's been growing in technology, um, not just about Apple, but all companies, and particularly here in the Valley. And it's, it's long overdue, and it's been gaining momentum that uh, there are not enough uh, women and minorities both represented across all technology companies. It's time to start counting it, paying attention to it, but more, more importantly, doing something proactively to help. And, um, and, and there are a lot of things that, that Tim has championed and, and driven at Apple now under his leadership. And this is one of those things on the list. He cares deeply about diversity at Apple and believes that this isn't just something to do because people tell you to do it, but because ultimately we will make better products and our customers will get better products because you have a diverse group of people all bringing their talents and ideas to, to making those products and ultimately you'll do a better job and we'll all be happier. And so how do you do that? Well, there are a number of things you do. One of them is you present some role models and say, look, you can be a young girl in technology who wants to learn uh, to become a programmer, become a marketing person, whatever, and there are people who have, have gone that path and been successful, and you should too. Look up to that and want to be that. And, and, and he cares deeply about it, and so we were really happy with this show that uh, we had both uh, Jennifer and Susan had, uh, you know, their roles are deeply involved in exactly what they presented. Jennifer's worked on, on Apple Pay from the start. I've been working with Jennifer uh, at Apple since um, early, late 80s, early 90s. Um, Susan's worked on my team for a good decade now um, doing um, product marketing. And not only are they really smart, uh, great speakers, deeply involved and passionate about Apple, but those were two vice presidents at Apple, right? right. They're, they're, they're in leadership roles, and so that's good. It's a start. It's, we want to see more and more of that always. Right. Right, and the, my take has always been that the gist of it is it, it has to be more than just the surface level of, okay, we'll, we'll pick a woman or somebody else or a person of color to go on stage. Because the way you guys do the keynotes, it's, it's the people who are responsible for the thing doing it. And so there needed to be Apple Pay News for... Jennifer Bailey to go out and do it. Exactly. Right. And 
So that's even better, though, because it means that they really are in these positions of influence and, you know, getting shit done. Yes. <laughs> All right. What kind of deal does Eddie Q have with the devil? <laughs> He's a Duke fan, and they won the championship. He's a Warriors fan. They've never even been in the finals before. Now they're in the finals. What is going on there? Well, let me unwind that question because there's two different parts to it. Um, first, Duke. It's, it's no secret, Eddie went to Duke, been a fan since he was in college. He, you know, is good friends with Coach K. If you don't know Duke in basketball, Coach K is the greatest winning NCAA coach. And, um, and so rooting for Duke like, isn't a big gamble that they're not going to win some championships because they can do it whether he roots for them or not. But, but he has rooted for them since college. Um, so so that's, that's not a... You don't need a big deal to, to make that happen. That's happening. Um, but the, the Warriors, uh, Eddie has been a fan of theirs for a couple decades going to games. So he's been through some lean times and he's due. Um, and so, so if you know Eddie like I do and we're really great close friends, um, Eddie is one of the most loyal people you can ever have as a friend or a, or a co-worker. And so he's been loyal to his sports teams. And, and the last thing I'll say on this is, if somebody's doing a deal with the devil for the Warriors, that's one crappy deal. Because it's been, what, 40 years without a championship? You're not a good deal maker. I care. I care. <laughs> All right, let's get down to some of the products that you guys talked about yesterday. Uh, and WWDC. So I, I think I'll stick roughly to the order, you know, go in your order. OS 10 L, I'm gonna mispronounce it. Cap, Capitan. You said it well last show. <laughs> I'm a good guesser. I really did guess. At least one of you did. <laughs> it is, I know, there are definitely new features. There, there, some of the features are very cool. I love the mouse shake thing. Um, I'm serious. We, I have a giant 5K iMac. I need to know where my mouse is. Um, but there used to be an init way back in like the ancient era that did the same thing. Yes. When the screens were this big. <laughs> I know. The, you had a nine-inch black-and-white Mac screen. Right. You had to go like this to find your cursor. What was wrong with us? But, um, but, but yeah, in fact, I, I kid you not, I did it this afternoon. I was working on some slides. I'm on a 27-inch iMac, and I went, oh, where's my cursor? And I like, did the shake, like, oh, I'm not on El Capitan yet on this system. It's not working. Um, it becomes very intuitive very quickly. In large part, though, like I said, there are some new features, but it is mostly like a stability and refinement release of OS X, or at least in large part, that's part of the focus of it. And that was what led me to guess El Capitan, because it's like there was Leopard and then Snow Leopard, which was sort of a, hey, let's slow down the new features and work on reliability. And then there was Lion and Mountain Lion. And I thought, there's no such thing as Mountain Yosemite, so. Very astute. but. Yeah. Uh, but but to, to your to your to your point, um, no, we don't think of it as only a stability and performance release. That is a big part of it. 
Um, but the features the teams have worked on, we think will matter to all of us in our everyday lives using these, uh, these systems. And they took a lot of work, and some of them will have uh, significant uh, ramifications for a long time. I think most of all with Metal on the Mac on that. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity for all of us. So I think there's some really important things in this. Yeah, I guess that is a big one. And it really does sort of, uh, it's, it's like this virtuous circle where you've got all these game developers, top game developers, cranking on iOS games for years and adopting Metal very quickly in the last year. and already having code ready to go. And it really does, iOS is really helping the Mac here in terms of elevating the Mac as a gaming platform. It, absolutely, especially in this case. It's, there's great leverage there. Um, but it's not just for the gaming. I mean, that's a big part of it. It's great for pro apps, and, and we've seen that. Uh, Adobe came in and did some work, and we're really impressed with what they could do on it. And our own teams have done it with systems, as, as Craig talked about, to have graphic software layers from the system starting to get accelerated with it, we see big benefits. So I think it is a system-wide opportunity. Well, my son just wanted to thank you for the gaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there has been, in the last year, um, a, a sort of, um, I don't know if it's a meme, but a, a, a talking point that gained a lot of, yeah, me too, I agree, the basic gist of it being Apple software isn't as reliable as it used to be. And it, it got out there, I don't know, I forget, somebody wrote something about that. No, no, let's, let's just deal with the elephant in the room. Marco. Um, so, there's a reason Many of you read Marco's blog. He's a smart guy and he's a passionate guy. And, and I read his stuff too. So it's worth it. And, and so complete respect for your perspective and your belief. Don't share them in this instance, but I respect it. I, and, I, and I mean that. Um, there... Uh, try to be magnanimous and somehow step in it. So... The... There, there's, there's no doubt, with every release there's bugs and there's things we hit on and there's things that the team's passionate about getting out there and fixing. Uh, but we're also very careful about um, tracking crash logs and Apple Care calls and Genius Bar visits and we even have a tool that um, is able to uh, follow uh, a lot of, of uh, user forms to ascertain what the complaints are and try to really gather a good metric um, set of metrics on all the issues. And in this case, I do think the storyline isn't really accurate with the reality. Not to say there aren't bugs and there aren't things driving some people crazy. There are. Of course there are. But it isn't a change. Um, uh, in fact, if there's any change, I think the biggest change in Yosemite, truthfully, over the last year was that we had a faster adoption rate of OS X than of any Mac OS in history. And so you saw a larger number of users faster in the release cycle in more diverse networks and environments in different uses. And that surfaced even more things that would kind of ha happen over a slower ramp. And so there, there were things to chase out and go work on, no, no doubt about it. But I wouldn't say it's, it's systemic to some issue or some wider thing going on, not in any way. Yeah, I, the feedback I got... It seemed like you guys were taken a little surprised by that because a lot of the things that you measure, 
we're all saying this is better than before. We're seeing fewer crash logs per user. We're seeing you know, fewer of certain problems. And I kind of feel like maybe what got lost in the shuffle there is that a lot of the problems people were having were things that don't even generate crash logs. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, like some of this Discovery D stuff. It's just like all of a sudden my printer just isn't connected anymore. But it's... <laughs> no, I, hey, we take the good, you got to take the good with the bad. That's okay. I'll get it out of your system. Let's laugh about Discovery D. <laughs> okay. You know, I, there's an example where um, I think everyone should be proud that um, if we're going to try something, it's great to try things. Sometimes it's okay to take a risk. You don't want everything to stay and never change. Um, but if things aren't perfect and people are telling us they're not happy with how something's working, here we are. We haven't shipped El Capitan yet. Already dealing with that within this one-year cycle inside of that to make a big change to make things better. And I think that's a sign of how much the team is willing to, to self-analyze what the situation is and do whatever's right. So just for the record, before we move on to the next topic, you guys do read the radars that they file. <laughs> yes. Uh, next up was iOS, iOS 9. And there's a lot in iOS 9, and there's the multitasking, and the keyboard, and the trackpad. All, to me, the gist of it is, for a lot of people, this becomes a lot more of a productivity machine than, like, a huge leap forward for advanced iOS users, iPad users. Uh, in, in particular, the iPad features that the team for the last couple years has been looking at what we think would be changes in experience. Remember, when we launched iPad in the very first iPad, a lot of work went into rewriting all of the applications of the system to take advantage of that big, beautiful screen, and, and some, a lot of thought went into that. And then we you know, put that out in the world and saw how people use it, and then we went back to it and said, well, what are the next things we need to do unique for iPad to make it a more productive, more useful uh, product in the, in the things you do? And, um, and one of the things was to help you use multiple applications in new ways. And it actually took a couple years of development to get to this. It wasn't like someone woke up six months ago and said, hey, let's do multi-window multitasking on this. It took a while to, for example, put out last year the size classes and auto layout in iOS and, and so people can develop ostensibly for iPhone 6 and, and 6 Plus, but we knew that by doing that work, we were laying the groundwork to make this happen with El Capitan as well. So some of these things take multiple years to put everything in place to do it the right way. Because you can rush it out and do it the wrong way, and then we don't all like where we are. I, I thought it was the, I was sitting, not in the middle, but farther back. I was really in the mix with the developers too. And I, I thought that that got the weirdest reaction, like the most mixed reaction from the crowd was when Craig said, You've already done the work. If you've been listening to us and done this auto layout in the sides classes, you've already got it. And, and there was this really mixed reaction where it seemed like half of the developers were like, yes! And they totally understood how Twitter maybe came in and really did like 50 minutes of work and got, got it working because they already had it. And then the other half of the developers were like, uh... Like when you guys offer a hint as to what developers should be doing, People should take the hint. I think our batting average is pretty good on that. 
Wow, that's weird. My next question was about 64-bit carbon. <laughs> I, that's an old note from a, that's, that, this card is very old. This is from a, hold on. This is our audience, Phil. Yeah. A 64-bit carbon joke got a laugh. Um, a pains laugh. <laughs> yeah, there's probably some angry people out there. Um, it's all good now. Um, last thing on iOS, and it's a big thing, and I, I really thought you guys hit it several times. I think you almost couldn't have been more clear on it, and I really think it is the biggest story in the industry this year, I mean, you know, it's not like a flash in the pan, I think it's ongoing, but it's, it's hard to summarize, but it's this idea of contextual awareness with your devices and services in terms of, you know, telling you if it's going to rain or the Craig's example of knowing you're getting in your car, um, you know, traffic patterns, leave, you gotta leave for the airport, all these type of features. Uh, and how a company and a, uh, a platform can inf implement them with the flip side of, um, how did you say it? How did you guys say it in the keynote? It was the uh, second most popular mapping app on iOS, <laughs> Google. But there, there's this argument going on and it's, then the flip side of it is this privacy issue with data collection and all sorts of things are coming out at once. And Google is doing features like this. You guys are doing features like this and, and just, I think by coincidence, but the Annenberg School of Communication had this widely cited paper that just came out this week. I'm sure you saw it. Yeah. Um, the gist of it being that typical consumers do care about the privacy and the implications of the information that online companies like Facebook and Google are collecting. Uh, they're not comfortable with a lot of it, uh, but they kind of feel helpless about it and they're like, oh, I guess I got it. You know, I guess Google knows where I am all the time. Um, but you guys seem to have a different vision of this. And, and the flip side of the art, the last part of it, I know this is a very long question. I'm, are you with me so far? Uh, yeah, I'm waiting for the question. Right. <laughs> the gist of it though is that a lot of people are arguing that to implement these features well, a company has to collect it in an identifiable way and keep a sort of dossier on you, otherwise the features don't work. And you guys seem to have a very different stance on that. And obviously, this is not new. This is something we've believed for many, many years and hoped that it would get traction that more and more people would start to care and question the choices they have to make. Um, if ever there's a modern definition of a Faustian bar bargain, this is it, right? Which is that if you want to get the features, give us all this information about your life that you'd really rather not. And, and, and we've believed for a very long time that that doesn't have to be the case. And so we've built systems and processes all around the idea that uh, in order to help users, you can do things that are surprising and delightful and magical, but we don't know your data. We don't, you know, if there's something that has to get through our server, then it's non-identifiable. And if it can be done in any way on your device without going to our server, then that's the better place to do it. And, and that we think we can deliver great experiences protecting users' privacy. And, and that has been a belief for many years. And, and now it's really becoming uh, a much more well-received message. And we're probably talking a little bit louder about it because we think people do want to hear it. But we haven't changed our feeling. This is our feeling for many, many years about it. 
But it's sort of coming to a head now because it's like, I feel like these features really bring out the difference in the two strategies. We hope so. We hope people will see that I can get the capabilities I want and somebody standing up for my privacy and somebody... I mean, one of the great things about Apple, I believe, is that uh, our customers trust us. They put trust in the fact that we're trying to make something that's quality. They put trust in the fact that we're going to support them. They put trust in the fact that we're going to respect privacy and security and do everything we can. And, and, and I think that these, these are the features that best demonstrate that today. Okay. I might be getting the next one out of order. It was, it was a long keynote. <laughs> My notes are a little mixed up. I've been to longer, but... I, I thought, I was wondering if maybe that wasn't the longest. I always thought that maybe you guys had like a loose rule that you wanted to keep it under two hours. Uh, we do, actually. We, 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 we think that in general, uh, you know, keynotes, people seem comfortable in the 145 to 210 kind of range, but that's never perfect. There's other, you know, other times when things can be shorter or longer. Um, and uh, in order to get it to the length we did, we cut a lot of things. We were very, you know, very aggressive on, on trimming back on, on, yeah, well, talking, I was, I was thinking more about the power feature in iOS 9 and how we, you know, we didn't even show the UI for that or a whole bunch of things that, that are there that were actually really nice. But uh, we had to, we have to, and even then, you know, some people, um, nobody seemed to get up and leave, so I think we were okay. <laughs> All right, but I think next was Apple Watch. Watch OS with a lowercase w. Are you trying to kill me? <laughs> it's, um, I think it works really well. I think it's nice, it's ownable, it's special. Um, I, I think, you'll see. Give us time. Um, we, we've been through many fun naming things. This is an easy one. There have been many na fun naming things through the years, some very emotional, fun, some very easy. And, and most of the time, when, when all said and done, you look back years later, people say, yeah, you guys were right. It, it all made sense together. So, so, so I, th I think we're doing the right thing. I'm hoping that it's like... Was it the 3GS? Which was the one where they had a you had a lowercase s? The 5S. And then you uppercase the S. As I said, sometimes in the middle of things, we decide we haven't done the right thing and we fix it. All right. Hopefully right in your wheelhouse. But one thing that really struck me is in the run-up to the release of the watch and in the TV spots that ran, it ended with the watch is coming. And then when it launched, I think probably right around, probably timed at April 24th, the watch is here. And I thought that was such a great slogan, but it also conveys the different position Apple is in now than even, even 2010 with the iPad, in terms of, you didn't have to say which watch. Um. Well, thank you for liking the marketing. I appreciate that. Um, the, I, I don't think of it that way as, as necessarily different. Um, when you look back with iPhone, 
You may remember that we started, the very first ad for iPhone was a teaser ad during the Grammys, where it was just shots of people answering the phone and saying hello from famous movies. And yeah, that was a great ad. And we didn't have to say anything about it. Everybody knew that's because iPhone's coming, right? And so it was okay to do something, and we had that freedom to, to express it that way. So in this case, the whole world was anticipating the watch. They knew about the watch. We had you know, introduced it last September. And so as we were getting closer, there had been a billion stories written about it. So we didn't have to say much more than the watch is coming and, and, and show a lot of the, uh, the, the designs and show a lot of the interface because one of the great things about the watch is the variety of choice you have with it. And so the, the ad got to show that and it created some energy and some uplifting you know, beats to it to get that sense that, hey, we're building up to a moment of excitement here. The watch is coming. And, and so I think it worked pretty well at, at that. All right. Thank you. Uh, a, a developer question. So WatchKit was announced last year, at the end of the year, which I think it surprised me um, because it was out before, way before the watch, months before, so that developers could get ready for it. And now here we are six weeks after the watch actually shipped and you guys, I know it's not out, it's coming in the fall when it's gonna ship, but you've already, you know, developers probably spent all day in those sessions at WWDC learning about native apps on the watch. <clears throat> Do you think, was, was doing WatchKit first worth it rather than just waiting to go right to native apps? Um, well, time will tell and that'll be the judge of it, but, but I think so. You know, we've been through this once before with iPhone, and that model we had a year without uh, any native apps, just web apps, and then came out with the SDK and, and, and all the APIs necessary to do a good job with apps, and that model worked great. Uh, people were frustrated during that time, but it worked great. And in this case, we knew we, again, need to finish the software, get the first version out before we could solidify the SDK and APIs to do native apps, and so what do you do in the time before that? Do you give developers an opportunity to do something on it? Do you create a watch kit? And, and will that watch kit have enough value for certain kinds of apps that it will make sense anyway in the fullness of time, even with the full native APIs? And obviously our belief was, yeah, it would, it would help to have developers be able to use watch kit from the beginning. And there are many classes of apps that may be exactly what they want and they don't need to do more than that and, and use the full native version, but others will. And I think that gave the maximum opportunity uh, for developers. And so the one other thing we did that I think, because we talk about this the same, same thing you guys all talk about, we talk about internally all the time. And we said, well, how will people react to that if we bring out WatchKit and then native? So if you may recall, back last September when we talked about it in last year's developer conference, we said, and we will bring out a native API and SDK later. We wanted people to know that that was coming so no one could say, oh, I wouldn't have done this if I had known that. And so we wanted to make sure there was transparency and openness about that. Good answer. <laughs> music. I think Apple Music looks amazing. I think that the size of the catalog is amazing. I think it, it what was the phrase, in the, the moving the needle in the entire music industry. I really do. I kind of thought the segment in the keynote was a little long. <laughs> you say potato, I say potato, but... Here's yeah. my big question, and this is where I'm in, rocketing towards being an old man. I just don't know. 
I'm, this is a very serious question. So the basic proposition is you pay $10 a month. There's a three-month free thing to get started, you know, see what it's like, see how much you like it. But the basic idea for the long term is you pay Apple $10 a month and you can listen to all of it. Are there a lot of people who want to pay $10? I think it's a great deal. I really do. I mean, I think the family deal is a no-brainer. I really think it's a great bargain. But I'm an idiot. I've been paying for music my whole life. <laughs> like, I was, I was so happy when the iTunes store came out because I hated the Napster stuff because the songs didn't have the metadata and it's like, you're doing all this cleanup work just to, like, get the file names right. It's like, just let me pay it. I, but is that... Is there a lot of people, are there a lot of people out there who are going to pay $10 a month for a music service? Well, obviously, we believe so. Um, we think that, that once you see the service and you start to use it, uh, you'll realize the benefits of having really great curated, curated lists and you know, albums and playlists and things being recommended to you. And every time you see something, you say, oh, I like that. I want to listen to that. I want that playlist. Great. I'll use that the next time I go on my trip. Oh, cool new album. I want that. And you don't have to think about it anymore. You're just getting it. And then, you know, and, and some people think that's all people will do. Or some of us who are, who are older and a lot older, um, there's, I have favorite artists that I just want to buy it just because I do. I'm, it's, it's just locked in my brain that way. And so I'll still have, you still have the iTunes store. And you can buy the things you want to buy. You don't have to choose between the two models. But once we're on this for a while and we're all living it and we understand the social impact of music that's completely available to you, I think it's going to change enough, especially if there's that impetus coming from the curation and the recommendations, that will keep you really wanting to, to just add all that to your library constantly. What do you think Connect is got that's going to make it succeed where Ping didn't? A better name to start. Um, it's an opportunity to, um, on a, a bunch of levels that's different. Uh, I, I think Connect has much more been built from the ground up from an artist's perspective of what would they like to share with their fans and how do they like to communicate. And, and so for Connect, uh, the artist will have a very simple ability to create whatever content they want. Videos, audio tracks, you know, photos and lyrics and on and on, and the ability to like and say what you care about and then instantly also share it directly to other social networks. You're not locked into one network. And the ability to communicate with, with users. It's not a one-way pipe. And so I think that it's a much more interactive environment and the ability to share a lot more, and we'll see. But we think that based on the artists who have worked with us on it, that it's, um, it's the kind of environment they want to contribute with fans. Um, you and I just happen. We a lot of times when we meet off the record or whatever, we blow the we whole. We never meet off the record. <laughs> we'll we just like, think we do. No. <laughs> but it'll be like twenty minutes, and we'll blow the whole thing talking about like cameras and James Bond movies. Yes, and then I, I tried so hard. I, I I realized it when when I got invited to this, and I didn't have time because the one place you could order it was going to take two weeks. I want to get this. Spectre logo T-shirt to wear just for you, um, but I couldn't. You know, nice octopus logo T-shirt. But, but one of it. the the things that we both share a passion for is photography and cameras, and um, you know, like a, a hobbyist type thing. Um, 
I've, I've been thinking, I think it's so clear, and the, the shot with iPhone uh, marketing campaign shows that you guys clearly believe it too, but that Apple has become one of, if not the, leading camera companies in the world. The. And, and it, in the old days, being a camera enthusiast, you really were, it was like about the lenses, you know? And it still is if you, you know, if you have with the other cameras we have. But with today's era of photography, it's really about mobility. And it's not about lenses and sensors, although that's part of it. But it's the software that processes the images off the sensor, which is why there might be other cameras from other companies that might use the same sensors uh, that you guys have or similar ones and the pictures don't look the same. And after that, how do you get them on the phone? And how do you send them to where they're going? And how do you edit it and crop it and fix the rotation? And then two years from now, how do you get back to that picture? It's this whole circle, but it's... I, like the, it's called the iPhone, but to me, I would rather, if I could have, if you said, hey, one of your apps is gonna break for the next week, it's either phone app or camera app, I want my phone app to break. <laughs> do, you, do you see it the same way? Oh yeah, the camera capabilities of iPhone is, for me, one of the most personally valuable and important parts of it, has been um, for quite a long time. And as, as you said, we both share a passion for prosumer photographer. I'm no, no great Ansel Adams, um, but I love photography. I love the process. I love the thought that goes into it. I have cameras of all different sizes and kinds. And, um, and photography is really powerful. And especially once you have families and kids, you realize how this stuff is, is meaningful for the rest of your life. And, and, and we've been putting a lot into it. Um, but I will start with the most important adage in photography. Anybody who hears of serious photographer knows the, the old line, and it's true, it's not the camera, it's the photographer, right? A great picture comes from a great photographer, not a great camera. And, and so that aside, I got that done. Um, we, we've been putting a lot of effort for many years now to building an incredible world-class camera team and, um, and working, doing custom work on sensors, building our own custom lenses, uh, building our own flash technology, um, and most importantly, the ISP and software um, that makes that all come together as a complete system. And the same mentality that goes into why a Mac is better than a PC and why an iPhone is better than some other junky phone, that goes into the, <laughs> goes into the camera that it's a complete system designed together from the beginning uh, to work together, and, and that's what results. You can't just piecemeal put a lens with a sensor with someone else's chip, with someone else's software, and get to the level of result we're able to achieve the way the teams work together to deliver a complete solution. All right. I have to ask this. You guys have always had this, well, not always, but in the modern era of Apple, there's been this idea of, hey, here's three Good, better, best. Uh, whether it's a Mac or, you know, a lot of different products. Three, good, better, best. I think that with the current generation iOS devices going 16, 64, 128, I think that 16, it's really hard to make an argument that that's good. It's more like okay. So... 
I'm guessing you're all 128 gigabyte users in here. <laughs> Me too. So the, the, the 16, you know, we used to be lower. And um, so it has increased. The iPhone didn't used to shoot video too. So the, one of the hopes, and, and, and maybe, maybe we'll see how, how we realize it all, but the, the belief is more and more as we use iCloud services for documents or Azure if your product uses Azure, or you know, for our photos and for our videos, the more we're able to use these things and music is in the cloud, that um, perhaps for the most price conscious customer, the person starting out at the beginning of the line um, are able to live in an environment where they don't need gobs of local storage because these services are taking off more and more of the load and making their life easier, and they can start with an entry point that's lighter than maybe you want, um, but gets their entire job done. And we work very carefully to, to canvas and survey exactly how much storage people use at different price points and how much they need. And, um, and if, if we can give them a great solution storage there, we can put that cost into other things to make sure they have a great camera, they have a great screen. And so it's all choices for the customer. And, 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 and that's the hope. As more of this stuff is in the cloud, maybe uh, we can have an easier entry point for some customers. You did say you wouldn't answer some questions. <laughs> I can't. All right. Wow. What? I can get much more non-answer than that. <laughs> what do you say to the, the criticism that Apple has gotten too obsessed with device thinness, with year-over-year -year iterations that are getting thinner and thinner at a point where maybe if you had stopped and kept the device thinness the same and just filled that extra space with battery, whether it's a phone or whether it's a MacBook, that... Where are you guys going to stop? I mean, is it going to be like a piece of paper? Um, first of all, I think that feedback's always great to hear. And, and you know, people tell us what they think, and, and we, we always want, want to hear uh, what, what things you want in a product, because they all come with trade-offs and benefits and, 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 and associated things. If you want a product that's thicker with a bigger battery, well, it's also heavier. It's also more costly. It also takes longer to charge. It's also, you know, things, there are, all these things have ramifications designing a total system. And, and, and we look at this very, very, very carefully. The engineering team and the industrial design team work together and model every thickness and every size and every weight. And we, we hold these things and we work with them to try to figure out what the feature benefit trade-offs are. And I don't think we've hit the point yet where um, we're trading off uh, thinness for features and capabilities at the expense of the best optimized product. I really don't. I, I love my new 12-inch MacBook. I think it's an incredible product. I use it uh, constantly, and I, and I love how thin and light that feels. And, and I love the iPhone uh, 6 and 6 Plus, and I think we've made great choices there. And, and, and yes, these, this is something we talk about constantly, uh, but I think we've made the right choices so far. All right, two-part question. What color is your new MacBook? <laughs> and how many USB ports does it have? <laughs> So, uh, mine is the space gray. Thank you. Um, but um, I'm glad there's individual choice. Diversity is important. The, um, the, 
and, and mine, mine has, um, has one USB-C port, as you well know, with that <laughs> leading question. Uh, but again, uh, be careful what you ask for, right? Because what the design team first envisioned when we started working on MacBook was to say, if all we do is incremental, slight change, where's the excitement, where's the value of Apple pushing things forward? We need to take bold risks. And if people don't like it, well, they can keep buying the MacBook Air, they can keep buying a MacBook, uh, the, the MacBook Pro, but uh, why don't we design a product that's around this wireless world that has really no physical connection that you need, you can get by without ever needing that, wouldn't that be a better world? And in doing that, we realized, yeah, but we do need to charge it, so let's go create this one port that can charge and be USB and be your video out. And that way, if you need to connect, you can. You're not giving that up, but this is really designed. And, and if you do that, how far can you push it? How, how thin can it get? How, you know, how light can it get? You know, how aggressive a design can it be? And I think if, if I'm in my job for one reason, because I'm a customer like all of you. I love these products, I love this company, I want this company to be the best Apple it can ever be, and, and one of the ways it can be the best Apple it can ever be is to take bold risks and try to think of new things that others aren't willing to do. I remember, the, I mean, this is all the same mentality as, I remember when we took out the floppy. Oh, and, and, and I'm sure many of you all do too. It's the exact same thinking. I sat in the room with friends of mine who worked at other companies in Texas and other places, and they, and they, literally, they literally said, oh my God, I'm so jealous. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't take the risk. Because if the world isn't gonna be, is gonna be risk adverse and, and doesn't want us to take away anything, then you know, if Dell doesn't have a floppy but Toshiba does, they'll just buy the Toshiba. They're all the same, and, except if you're missing one thing, no one will buy your stuff. You said, you're so lucky. You make something where your customers give you the opportunity to try something in a completely different way, and, and they, they listen to you when they try it. And if you have to adjust and make an external drive for a couple of years, great, you'll do it, but you get to make that change and move on. That's, that's the embodiment of this new MacBook, which is take a bold risk. Maybe some people will think it's not perfect to them yet, but for a surprising number of people, it's already their future laptop. The customer satisfaction is off the charts on it. Customer demand is great. Um, does anyone here have a new MacBook and love it? Yeah. So, so I, I, that's the Apple I want. I want an Apple that's bold and taking risks and trying new things and being aggressive. So you've been an Apple for a couple of years. Half, half my life. Wow. A lot of that time, an adjective that was often used to describe Apple was beleaguered. And there were some hard times and there were years when you guys were truly the underdog. Um, and now, there is no way that anybody could argue that the most profitable company in the world is the underdog. <laughs> but yet people still seem to manage to say that you're one step away from collapse. <laughs> like, does that surprise you that it hasn't stopped? Like, 
I don't think it was surprising in, say, 1997 that there were a lot of articles predicting doom for the company. Do you find it surprising that there are articles in 2015? Honestly, no. Um, I don't know if, personally, I don't know if I'd know how to act if people didn't write that and, and didn't say that. Uh, because I've been through all that. You know, the really, you all have read the stories, you know, there was a moment there where Apple was truly six months from gone and out of business. And we've been through this cycle. And, and, and as, you know, someone really smart once said, is there's nothing to, to make you, you know, take bold moves than a near-death experience. And, and we had that. And, and, and having people tell you that you're all not that smart, you're, your products aren't that great, you're not going to survive, is, it actually emboldens you to do good work and, and try to uh, make each thing better and be aggressive and hungry. And, and I think that's also the way Apple should be. And, and we don't need to be told how great we are and how big we are. It's not about that. And, and, and we don't want it to become about that. It's not about... PDEs, and it's not about market value. I mean, sure, the finance team has to worry about that, but for the rest of us, it's about are we making the best product? Do people love what we do, or is it changing lives? And if, and if it isn't, then beat us up till it is, and, and that's a good place. And, and I don't remember any great product we've made where people haven't panned it in the press in the beginning. I mean, they panned the iPhone, they panned the iPod, they panned the iPad, and great, say it, you know, because that, I don't know what a successful product is if it doesn't start out with people saying, I don't get it and I don't like it. This has been great, I really appreciate you being here and the time we've spent, but. Did you say but? No, no, not but. But, but I was going, well, I did say but. But before we finish up, do you remember the first time you, you got in contact with me? It was a long time ago, no, I don't. It was October 2004. <laughs> Earlier in the month, the Yankees had or maybe it was September, I don't know, it might have been September. I forget when the ALCS, it probably October, probably October, okay. probably early October. My favorite team, the New York Yankees, had taken a three games to nothing lead against the Boston Red Sox. And uh, I still have this tradition, it's just been a number of years since I've been able to do it, which is when the Yankees are in the postseason, I use their logo instead of my star in a circle. Uh, and I used to in the early years, 2002, 2003, when I was really greedy because the Yankees used to win the World Series every single year, I didn't even count the division series. <laughs> I didn't change the logo until they got to the AL Championship Series. Those were the days. <laughs> well, one thing led to another, and I don't know what happened, but somehow the Red Sox ended up winning that ALCS. And it was... A Greatest choke in baseball history. So I wake up the next day and I was despondent because it was like, geez, of all the teams, that, I mean, number one, losing three games is nothing, that hurts, but to the Red Sox. And I start to work and I, well, you know, whenever I'm in a bad mood, it's like my work can distract me. And I go and I check my email and it, and this is back in the day when you didn't get the preview. Uh, <laughs> I don't forget what the subject was, but it said from Philip Schiller, and I thought, somebody's pranking me. <laughs> and I click on it, and it's from Phil Schiller at apple.com, and it said, hey, John. 
it's so great because I changed the logo back because they lost the game and it said it's so great to see the regular logo back on Daring Fireball. The Yankees put up a good fight. Regards, Phil. Now, do you remember? Is it coming back to you? Oh, yes. I remember that, that week really well. So, it, my reaction that morning was so bifurcated. It was, holy shit, I got an email from Phil Schiller and he reads Daring Fireball. And it was like half an icy dagger in my heart. Like the last remaining warm blood in my body was just drained. That's what I was shooting for. <laughs> but, but to show I'm, 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 a, I'm a, obviously I'm a, I grew up in Boston, so I'm a big Boston sports fan. Good. Yes. I don't care how much air is in the ball, I don't. <laughs> Uh, I'm a Brady fan, and, and take it for what it's worth. So, um, but that series, so the third game, I happened to be on an Apple business trip in New York during the third game, and I said, I've got to watch the game. And I said to someone in the hotel, I've got to go, where's a good place to watch the baseball game? They said, well, the Mickey Mantle Bar. I said, it's a Yankees game at the Mickey Mantle Bar. All right, I'll go. And I went, and I whipped up my Red Sox cap. And I was the only Red Sox fan in the entire Mickey Mantle bar, and that was the game we got beat like 17-6 or something. And I took a drubbing, and everyone giving me a hard time, and it was worth it because, look, we stunk and we deserved it. And, and so I felt I'd really taken the pain, and there was this cathartic thing that I could nicely... And I, I think I wrote that email probably 12 times in different ways, <laughs> digging you, teasing you, being tongue-in-cheek, and finally just said... Just the simple, clean way. That's the way to go. So I told this story before the show to uh, one of your colleagues, Bill Evans, at Apple. Um, and he goes, oh yeah, classic Phil. <laughs> he goes, that's Phil all the time. So anyway, thank you, Phil. Uh, a couple more thank yous. Um, I want to thank uh, everybody here at Mezzanine. This place is great. Uh, I have had nothing but good things to say about here. The entire staff, everybody from sound, uh, security, the bartenders, everybody, let's give it up for them. Uh, I want to thank my friend Caleb Sexton. He's handling audio tonight and uh, turning this into the audio podcast, making sure we sound good. Uh, I want to thank my sponsors, MailChimp, who sponsored the bar, our friends at, our friends at Fracture, uh, uh, who sponsored the video. Did it, did it stay? I'm glad nobody yelled anything. Did the video stay up? No. <laughs> it's hard to do right. I... <laughs> we tried. Uh, and Microsoft. Thank you, Microsoft, for sponsoring the event. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Jed Hurt and Jake Schumacher. They're the um, directors of the documentary app, The Human Story. They're here tonight shooting this just to, to help with the video feed and everything like that. Um, that should be coming out later this year, uh, early next year. Great movie, that they're, but they're helping out with the video. Uh, and then lastly, I want to thank all of you. Uh, 
thank you. You guys are the best audience in the world. You guys get it. Uh, I really appreciate it. They say at Mezzanine, they thank me, and they're like, your, your show is the best. You're, these people are so nice. <laughs> so thank you for that. Thank you, Phil. Good night.